On today's pod, we have Anthony Morgan. Anthony Morgan is an entrepreneur, a psychomer, a PhD student, a PhD student in my lab particularly, co-supervised with Dr. Jessica Mudry in the School of Professional Communication. Anthony is always candid, and he's always one of those people that you really enjoy talking to. He has created something called a freestyle social, which he'll uh, elaborate on a little bit more. And it's something that I think everyone should experience because it truly is an opportunity to engage in science and science communication in a completely different way. Also, at the end of this pod, you're going to get our first asked and answered moment. So listen in where Anthony now poses a question to all the listeners and they can now submit to me uh, their answer uh, to that question for future use. And of course, anyone can always submit a question digitally. So please lean in. And enjoy my conversation with Anthony Morgan. All right, everybody, welcome back to the pod. Today we have a, a special guest in Anthony Morgan. Anthony is both a entrepreneur, he is a PhD student in my lab. So there's a bit of a power dynamic. Hopefully that won't handcuff <laughs> his answers too much during this interview. I um, and, and somebody who you, if you haven't met yet, you should, because not only is he very amusing he challenges a lot of paradigms when it comes to education and the way that we communicate so anthony welcome to the pod thank you so much for having me uh so tell us about your role at ryerson let's let's start with okay what you that you're a phd student sort of explain that to us sure yeah i'm a phd in the molecular science program there's a, a specific branch of that program that has a lot to do with um pedagogy so teaching and, and outreach strategies and uh, my research project is focused on building science communication environments that are depolarized. And by depolarized, you mean? Yeah, so ad addressing um, some of the more polarizing scientific issues of our time. So things like climate change or GMOs or artificial intelligence or, or vaccines, that kind of thing. And I think that it's a great, great thesis. And that's just why I'm co-supervising it with uh, Dr. <laughs> yeah. Je Dr. Jessica Mudry. How did you, but how, let's talk about how you got here. So hometown, you, you born in Toronto? I am born in Brampton. So it's about 45 minutes northwest of Toronto. But anybody who's from like the GTA just says, yeah, I'm from Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they tell everybody when they travel. And no. so you, before Ryerson, you, you're doing your PhD. So where did you go to school before you went to Ryerson? I did my undergraduate in psychology, neuroscience, and behavior at McMaster University, and then I did my uh, master's um, at Laurentian University in science communication. And Laurentian is in Sudbury, for those of you who have not been there but know who it is. And so there, it, it wasn't a particularly linear story in, in terms of time. So you did your, what, what, did you take a break between your undergraduate and master's? Uh, yeah, a big one. Um, I graduated from my undergrad in probably about 2009. Um, and then I went to, I didn't know what I wanted to do, like so many students um, who graduate. Um, and I was feeling the pressure to know exactly what I was supposed to be doing. Um, and I started working at the Ontario Science Centre. I'd actually been volunteering there throughout my undergrad and I loved it. And the chance for um, employment came up there and I, I jumped at it. Um, and so I worked there for about... I've worked there for about 12 years um, uh, and then, yeah, took a break to go do my uh, master's. And so when did you do your master's then? What, what, what year? I did my master's in 2013-2014. Uh, so 
I started at the Science Center in around 2003, and I left the Science Center about 2000, um, or 2017, I think it was. Is that 12 years? No, it's a little yeah. longer than that. Yeah. But yeah. you said working so paid. So, and then, and then you came to Ryerson. So what did you do between uh, your science communication degree and, and Ryerson? Um, between the degree and Ryerson, I started a company, um, something called Science Everywhere. Um, it's an organization, a media and events organization um, that is trying to more or less build science culture, although we wouldn't have put it that way when we first started. Um, and I also started working in television um, and radio. So I, I hosted Daily Planet for some time. I hosted some shows for Vice and CBC and Global. And I hosted Quirks and Quirks for a bit. And so let's talk about being a, an entrepreneur. So in some of the, those, were, those, those examples, you were doing contract work as part of a job um, mm -hmm. or in the telecommunications space. But what, what about uh, being an entrepreneur? What, what drove you to do this? Um, you know, it's funny. I really never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I remember explicitly as a kid thinking about the idea of an entrepreneur. Once I learned what it was, um, they said, basically, you work really hard at a thing and you don't get paid a lot. And um, a lot of times it doesn't work out and you work long hours. I was like, there's no way I ever want to do this. And I became an entrepreneur because I really... I found something that I loved doing enough that I didn't see another option besides making up a job that I got to do it all the time. Um, so I'd been working at the science center. I loved what I was doing there and I wanted to expand it. And the only way I could see to do that was to start a company. So I did. So what were the, what were the, some of the risks that you perceived or otherwise that, 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 said, no, no, I don't want to be an entrepreneur. Like, what was it? Just the hard work or the lack of money? Like, what was it that particularly um, yeah. threw you off? I think, I mean, becoming an entrepreneur seems like a scary thing um, from the outside, right? It seems like there's all this financial risk. There's all this, um, there's so many opportunities for failure. I think that's the way that I was looking at it when I was first thinking about it as a kid. Um, and then as you get closer to it, you realize like, oh, this isn't, that scary um like the the risks are small than you think you're only investing a little bit at a time and you're and it's really mostly your time which is only a scary investment if you don't love what you're doing but i loved what i was doing so it really all the the fears of that kind of went away and i was like well i'd be crazy not to do this yeah that's all that's an awesome answer and you're right time is only yeah if you love what you're doing then 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 that's not an issue in terms of your time uh what would you say is so let's go back to when you were a kid. Did you know, did, did you have any preconceived notions of what you did want to be when you were a kid? Yeah. Like, was there any? Um, yeah, maybe some kind of a space cowboy or like ninja scientist. Um, just child <laughs> Science ninjas, is that where that title came from then? I'm, oh I'm not going to say yes, I'm not going to say no. Um, <laughs> so the um, other option for your company was space cowboys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can see what I meant when I was like concerned about entrepreneurship. I don't know how viable space cowboy would have been as a, as a startup. But, <laughs> it would have been but expensive, I, but, but with Elon Musk, you can do anything. Exactly. He is literally a space cowboy. It's crazy. <laughs> I, I should have done it, turns out. <laughs> yeah, he is. And, and you're about the same age, too. No. Yeah. <laughs> That's so. Um, but no, I mean, when I was a kid, I guess what I did think about, if I thought about anything, was I knew that I liked um, 
yeah, I liked just being around people and I liked thinking about stuff. Um, and I didn't know that that was a job. So at first I, w I wanted to be an en engineer because I thought, I watched a lot of Dilbert when I was a kid. I don't know if you know that cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's an engineer and I was like, that's funny. I guess I'll be an engineer. And then I watched a lot of uh, Frasier and uh, then I was like, all right, well, I'll be a psychologist. And then I watched a lot of Scrubs. You can see a trend here. Um, <laughs> and, um, but I honestly really didn't like science very much. Um, I could do it and I was good at it, but I didn't see it as a thing that really called me. It was only once I'd started working at the Ontario Science Center that I realized, oh, there's something here. There's something really exciting here. Um, and, and yeah, so then it was once I started working at the Science Center that I decided, um, I think this is the path for me. I want to get into whatever it is that this is called. When you, when you take these different directions in life, which by the way, I strongly encourage quite often the, you, you know, you, you can't finish something before you started or, or the pivot requires like a hard left turn. Were you a good student during all of these transitions? Like, were you a good student? Uh, that depends on the timing. Um, in my, yeah, in high school and elementary school, I was a really good student and high school, they used to call me jeopardy head because I, I knew all the answers. Um, and in high school, I did quite well. University uh, was the first time that I'd had a lot of um, autonomy and freedom. And, and I felt like uh, I was given the leeway to be an adult. And I was like, you know what an adult would do is play foosball as much as they can, go out um, and party as much as they can. So my first year or two of university was a bit rocky. But I think that's probably common. And then my last two years were a lot more serious. And I, I really figured out. Yeah, I really figured out what I wanted to, I figured out what I loved. And, <laughs> and Jeopardy Head will be the title of your autobiography. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I okay, so tell us my ringtone. Yeah. So tell us about uh, science everywhere. And maybe let's talk about um, science communication first, just generally, and why you believe the five C's are important. Because I always find that conversation fascinating. All right, cool, yeah. Well, um, for people uninitiated, science communication is more or less um, a field dedicated to what it sounds like, getting science out into the public, uh, from the bench to the public in ways that are useful and usable. Um, I, I think that at the core of science communication, it's really just about providing information to the public such that they can make wiser decisions. Um, and so, um, I guess, yeah, I started my journey in science communication at the Ontario Science Center. I was um, in, the, in the sleepovers. They had sleepovers for like girl guides and that kind of thing. I started there and then I, I moved to the camps where I was doing a lot more of that, just working with like little kids and getting them excited about different kinds of science principles. And then I became the job that I think is maybe still the most fun job. I don't know, it's hard to say because I've had a lot of fun jobs, but it's one of the most fun jobs I've ever had. Um, I was a host. And so that job was basically you walk around in a white lab coat, just like mic dropping science on people. It was awesome. Um, so I'd like blow stuff up or electrocute people or, or set things on fire. It was super cool. Um, and all the while I was working there, I was learning what good science communication is, not at a theoretical level, but at a sort of experiential level. And I started to see the values that good science communicators practiced um, and that's where I started to learn what you already referenced, which is the five C's of science communication. 
Um, and those are curiosity, collaboration, calm, creativity, courage. If you want to practice good science communication, as far as I'm concerned, you, you probably want to be practicing those five values as much as you can. So can we elaborate on why each of those five are important? Like why they clustered? I mean, I understand why they, they, you call them the five C's, but why are those the most important? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, through my undergrad and all my professional experience, I realized that the thing that I was learning about how to do is to understand what are the most common barriers to good critical thinking that we all bump into. Um, and then what are the tools that we need if we want to dismantle those barriers. And I think that the five C's are the five tools you really need to practice iteratively in order to um, break down the ways that we think about the world and, and think effectively, think critically well. Um, I can, I can for sure get into what the five C's mean if you. Well, I think, I think, I think curiosity is everyone understands that, like that's, that's that, especially in science. And I think if you're setting people on fire in the science center, I think it's also yeah. probably important to be calm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but, but maybe elaborate on why calm is important to people's uh, openness or, or maybe not openness, but. Critical their, thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think calm is important to practice because of the first two C's, um, curiosity and collaboration. So curiosity requires you to basically practice intellectual humility, to recognize like, look, I know less than 1% of what's on Wikipedia, and so do you, and so does everybody you know. Um, the world is, a, is way more complicated than I can understand by myself, and I need other people to help me understand it. Um, and that brings in the second C, which is collaboration. Two heads are better than one. Um, I, I often like to say that we all have blind spots in our thinking that are, they're by definition invisible to us. We don't know that they're there. So a really good way to find your blind spots, if you want to, is talking to people who see things differently than you. Um, and so calm becomes important because if I'm challenging all of the assumptions that I have about the world, I'm basically stepping into uncertainty, which is an inherently very frightening kind of thing to do. And then I'm talking to a bunch of people who I really disagree with and I'm saying to them, hey, listen, I know I disagree with you and I probably don't like you very much, but I know there's something that you can teach me and I'm gonna, I'm gonna adopt a student's mindset with you, which is a very scary and frustrating and difficult thing to do. And so if you wanna do those two things, you gotta practice calm. And I think behaviorally that kind of manifests itself as like, our ability to laugh at ourselves. I think and that, and the, the ability to laugh at yourself then takes us to the one maybe that courage, like in that regard, where, where does courage come in? Yeah, courage is um, defined in the literature as, so as basically the decision to step into vulnerability and vulnerability is emotional risk, exposure and uncertainty. Um, courage is not, not being afraid. Courage is what you do when you're afraid. Um, it's your ability to step into those kinds of hard emotions um, and, and to make the decision to do that. So I think, yeah, learning to step into situations where you could be wrong and, and say, hey, I don't know, if, I don't even think I could be wrong. I think I'm probably almost certainly wrong. Um, and I really need your help to understand reality a bit better. Um, that takes a lot of courage and a lot of calm. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Tell us about what Science Everywhere does. Yeah, well, we try to um, foster those five C's. We try to help people practice those values as much as they can and as much of their lives as they can. Uh, and we do that by producing um, events and media. Um, so we'll make lots of TV shows. So again, that was like the Daily Planet stuff or the, um, or the CBC or whatever. Or we would do uh, YouTube videos. We worked with ASAP Science and SciShow uh, making web series. Or uh, we work on a live event series where it's kind of like an um, open mic live game of Would You Rather. And, and really all of the work that we're doing is just trying to get people to practice those five C's. And I, and I really like that game for several reasons um, uh, and what you have now called a freestyle social because while, you know, doing things remotely or digitally or through some sort of form of media, it's not easy to practice all five of those things because it's not real time. But the freestyle social is real time. So tell us a little bit more about the freestyle social, um, how it works. Sure. So basically we show up at like a bar or a student group or a library or, or wherever. I, I tend to like bars a bit more because they're more fun. Um, yeah. But we'll put tape down the middle of the floor. We'll ask what I call spark questions. So things like, uh, would it be better if humans laid eggs? Would you rather uh, make love to R2-D2 or Chewbacca? Um, should One we make robots smarter than that? Yeah, there's a whole range. I know, <laughs> I know how you feel about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, and so we'll ask these kind of crazy questions um, and then we'll tell our audience, look, you've got to pick a side. What does what your gut tell you? And then uh, we put a microphone in the middle of the floor and each half of the room gets to explain to the other half why you should really come over to our side. And we've got three rules. Uh, so rule number one is say your piece, which is, again, the recognition that um, we all have blind spots in our thinking. And the best way to find your blind spots is to hear from people who see things differently than you. So we ask people to say their piece so that we can all hear perspectives that might be a little different from ours. Rule number two is um, suspend your judgment. So if you hear an idea or, a concept or something that surprises you and you think, hi, oh, you know, I've never thought of it that way, then you should suspend your judgment, change your mind and, and physically walk across the line to the other side. And rule number three is change your mind again we really, really encourage flip-flopping as much as we can. It's really, it's really cool. Uh, having done it, it's awesome. And we're now turning this into a bit of a PhD study. So maybe in a Cole's Notes version, what, what, uh, what are you doing in your PhD when we get regards to freestyle socials? Yeah, so um, again, the, I guess the core of my PhD is figuring out what do we do, um, how do we help science communication when the environments we're trying to communicate in are super polarized? So climate change, the, broadly speaking, the left and the right can't agree on what we should do about it. Or there are different groups in vaccination that just can't seem to talk to each other. Or, or with GMOs, the same problem. And so freestyle socials are designed to be an event that helps people break down some of those barriers and be able to listen to each other in productive ways. Um, and exchange ideas so that we can all align our behavior and become wiser as a result of it. And so um, as a scientist, I really want to know, well, does the thing I've designed actually do what I suspect it does? Does it actually make for more productive conversations where we're not so polarized? Does it actually make us wiser? And so in a nutshell, my PhD is just trying to figure out, do freestyle socials actually help people become wiser 
and does it make them less polarized around these tricky issues? Perfect. And you're also, you're doing this online right now in Instagram, maybe a little plug for uh, what you're doing in this particular time period. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're running them um, on Instagram live right now. Uh, you can find us at freestyle social SE. Um, we run them every Tuesday from seven to about seven thirty, depending on uh, how much people want to chime in and share their thoughts. We get all kinds of crazy panelists to participate, including the public. So um, for instance, uh, next week, we're going to be asking, um, would you give your kids superpowers? And we're going to be chatting with some folks from Ontario Genomics, um, people who would hypothetically uh, know how to manipulate um, the genome of fetuses so that they can have all kinds of phenotypic or like a behavioral expression. So like maybe they'll have slightly more muscle or maybe they'll be a little bit taller um, and, and look at how possible that is. I like the way you phrase it too, because <laughs> genetic engineering is essentially what you're talking about, but could we give them superpowers, right? And, that, and I think it does in, in communication, it's really important to, because you didn't polarize with that title, even words like we don't, we often forget how important the words are that we choose and uh, yeah. that, it's a great way. Um, and so you said I mean, Instagram. Be cool to make X-Men. If I could make myself an X-Men, that would be, oh, that's a dream come true. Um, and so what do you like best about your job right now in terms of science everywhere? What's the, what do you like best? Oh, that is really, that's a tough one. I, I love so much about it. I think that I get to spend my time hearing about the craziest ideas possible that are literally, some of them are actually possible and just getting to explore ideas like that in a big group of people where we're all laughing and having fun. Like I can't think of something that would be more deeply meaningful or fulfilling for me. I, I, I love this job. I love it. Yeah, so it's like it's it's like the next version of Jeopardy for Jeopardy head. Yeah, so instead yeah. of being, <laughs> yeah, Jeopardy it's like, became it's, an X Men. This is what. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what do you like least about what you're doing? Well, um, so I, as a psychologist, I think a lot about the um, the big five personality traits: openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, neuroticism. Um, I'm very high in openness, which means that I love ideas. That's why I like that part of it. I think that I'm pretty low in conscientiousness, which means that all the administrative stuff is a nightmare for me. Um, I really, I, I'm one of those kids who like, you had, to, you had to work hard to get them to sit down and focus when they were a kid um, because their attention was going a million different places. So getting to sit down and focus on finishing all the administrative stuff that I've got to do has been um, a bit challenging for me, but I like expanding the bag of tricks that I am as a person. Very cool. And so what inspires you the most about your job? I think, I guess I can describe it in, a, in an experience I had at a freestyle social. Um, there was like a moment that happened. Um, so we ran one back when we were um, able to have them live before the plague. Um, we... We ran one with the Ontario Brain Institute. Um, and so we were talking about a bunch of questions around mental health and, and like the use of psychedelics and, and all kinds of augmentations you can add to your brain theoretically in the, in the somewhat near future. And so one of the questions we asked was um, around a technology called deep brain stimulation. So if you're not familiar, 
it's a treatment that is used for people who have Parkinson's disease. Um, people with Parkinson's often have tremors. And so what you can do is literally implant a device in their brain. It's like an electrode and it'll zap this little region of the brain that's, that we know is kind of what's malfunctioning in, in lots of cases of Parkinson's. And it can stop tremors, but this, this device can also take, a good way of thinking about it is take the emotional edge off of some harder experiences. So let's say you are a kid and you see like a rabbit explode or something like that. You know, it's weird and it probably didn't happen to anybody that you know, but I imagine <laughs> it also be traumatizing. Yeah. Um, deep brain stimulation, theoretically, you can take some of the harshness of that. Like whenever you re reminisce on it, you can remove some of the negative feelings that you would have um, when you think about it. So the question we asked at this freestyle social was, let's imagine that unfortunately, um, somebody close to you, like a, a loved one of yours, dies prematurely. They die young. Um, would you want to implant something that would reduce the sting of that um, emotional experience? Or would you want to experience that pain fully? Um, and the response that we got um, to that question was amazing. It was something that I'll, I don't think I'll ever forget. It was, you, it got pin drop quiet in a bar, in a busy bar in downtown Toronto, because everybody was laser focused on whatever, whoever was at the microphone had to say. And by and large, almost everybody chose to experience the fullness of the suffering, to, to know exactly what it feels like to lose a loved one fully. They didn't want to dull it. And it was such a, a strange thing to, have a, a room full of strangers celebrating suffering and heartbreak together. Um, it was like, you felt like everybody on the, in the room wanted to just have a big hug and lots of people were hugging each other. It was, it was one of the most meaningful experiences that I think I've had. And it's not the kind of thing you would expect from a live game of Would You Rather. So okay. getting to do that is, um, I just, I, I chase that feeling. So that's what inspires me to keep going. Wow, that is cool. And I think that just shows the, the range from R2-D2 to 3PO to, to those deeper There's emotions. Range, that, yeah. Yeah, um, it is cool. And so you can really grab a lot of things. When you, um, what do you think, and it's a little bit of a sort of a shout out or maybe a advice to students. What do you think is the most uh, important transferable skill that you've developed to become successful? Huh, that's a very good question. I think self-awareness. I think that is a really good one. the capacity to reflect on the ways that you perceive the world um, is really, really valuable because if you can do that consistently, then you, it's like a superpower on its own. You just keep getting better and better. If you, if you don't know how to reflect on yourself, then all the little things that you're doing that are getting in your own way, you're never going to remove those barriers. But if you can reflect on the ways that you act in the world, then, then the sky's the limit. That's awesome.
In fact, on a recent podcast with somebody else, one of the faculty members, they said the exact same thing. So you are in, in good company there, and, it, and I completely agree with it as well. What, uh, we're going to move to the, to the rapid fire stuff, some fun short answer questions uh, sure. that, that people might, might learn from. So what factoid do your peers know least about you? My peers, meaning like my friends in science communication or my friends from university or my friends from high school or my... You get to choose. I think your peer, the, the peer group that I always associate you with is the Sciathomers. So yeah. how would you... What do they not know about you? Um, I don't know. I guess I... I mean, they already know I'm kind of a ham. I like, I like showboating a little bit. Like it's... I think if you spend, if you end up in TV, chances are you're probably a little bit of that personality. Um, I'd say they don't know that I, how much I play music. I play like five or six different instruments and I, I toured with a couple of bands. I don't think most people know that. I did not know that. So that's very cool. Yeah. What famous person, current, alive or otherwise, would you like to go to dinner with and why? Oh, oh man. Oh, to pick one that is so difficult. The two that immediately came to mind were um, Tesla and Elon Musk. Um, I think Tesla, because he was clearly a genius who was like light years ahead of his time, um, but also deeply eccentric. Um, and so I don't think I would have a good handle on how that guy thinks. And that would be deeply fascinating for me. And I think I pick Elon Musk for the, the same reason. Um, I recently did a freestyle social question where I was like, Elon Musk, supervillain in waiting. Like he seems that eccentric. Like the stuff he's developing is very forward thinking, but he might also be evil. And, yeah. you know, I would love to just sit and talk with him for like an hour. I wonder if he has a cat and it's, he's like petting it on his lap <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just feel like you, you're, that, that's spot on. And I didn't, I never made the connection between Tesla, the name of the car, and, and, uh, and Tesla, the, the scientist, and then maybe he embraced that name because he is that persona. You know, I also did not make that connection. It might have seemed like I was trying to hint at that, but uh, you, I, I, yeah, you've just blown my mind. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, anyway. Um, okay, so what is your favorite food? Mayonnaise. <laughs> no, you, did you just say mayonnaise? Yeah, I'm not. It's not like I'm looking at it or anything. Um, but that's just what's in my heart. I know that I love mayonnaise. I, I mean it. I really love so it. You have it on everything. I've yeah. I put it in things that people really criticize me pretty heavily for. I put it in pasta. Put it on pizza. Um, all kinds of um, like I put it in rice. I'll put it. In, I'll put it in almost anything. I love mayonnaise. My roommates in um, second year after learning how much I loved it, got me for Christmas, a four pound tub of mayonnaise. Um, so what kind of mayonnaise? Cause there's like Miracle Whip or do you mean like Hellman's? I mean, we can go down a rabbit hole here, Brian. All right. So, all right, we'll go to the next question then. What is your favorite, what is your favorite beverage? Hmm. I don't know. I would say I really like, um, there's this one that I get at the corner store. It's like a mango, banana, strawberry thing. I can't even remember what it's called, but I know that I know exactly what the box looks like. And I get it every time I go to the corner store. Um, Did it so, have mayonnaise in it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
It's a, it's a good side dish for mayonnaise. Yeah, those are my, <laughs> like if I was going to pick a last meal, it would be just like, just stir them together. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So what is, uh, uh, what is your favorite color? Uh, blue, I think probably. That's what I've said since I was a kid. I don't know if it actually is, but I say that every time. <laughs> <laughs> it's not your favorite for four letter word. Okay. So if I next complete this sentence. If I was not a science communication person, I would like to be. Hmm. Oh. This is tough. Cause I really, I don't want to be anything else. Um, like you don't get into science communication because it's lucrative. Like that's not, <laughs> it's, it's not That's immediately fair. the most lucrative job. I'm, I'm in this because I love it more than anything. I can't not be this. I guess if I had to be something else. Ah. Maybe a space cowboy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it is. I was waiting for you to say it. I didn't want to to say it, but I think we're all thinking it. <laughs> okay. All right, so we'll, we'll pass on that one. Something okay. in the top 10 of your bucket list. Um... Oh, for the last question, I maybe I'd probably be a musician, actually. Um, okay. For the bucket list, did I pick 10 items or just one thing in my bucket list? Just one in the top 10. Hmm. I want to fly a remote control helicopter. I think that would be cool. And like, have it, so I built this thing, it's called like an air Zuka. It shoots these giant smoke rings and I want to like be able to fly a remote control helicopter through like, and um, they make these kind of obstacle courses for them. And like, I want to be able to fly it around and like try to dodge like the shots from the air Zuka and that, I think that would be awesome. I could probably make that happen this weekend. I should probably do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that, that sounds like something you could easily get off your list if you, with a few dollars. Yeah. Um, who is or was your favorite role model? Hmm. I'm going to say my, my parents, um, they, the way that they conduct themselves in the world is wholly in line with the values I try to live by. And that was before I even had words to put to those values. They're the kindest, most generous, um, thoughtful, selfless people that I know. And it seems like a really good way to live. It seems like it fills your life with joy to be that way. And so I want to endeavor to be, as much of that as I can be. Hmm. They sound like cool people. I yeah. look forward to meeting them someday. Uh, what is your greatest achievement? Um, mm, I don't know yet. We'll see. <laughs> I like it. Okay. So what is your greatest failure? I think failures are only failures if you don't learn anything from them or don't get better. Um, I would say... That said, uh, there was this escape room that I made. It was terrible. Um, there was this company. Uh, they, it was kind of like a video game arcade thing, and they wanted to open up a new space where they had an escape room in it. Um, and they said, I said to them, hey, uh, if, you gave, if you give me like $5,000, I will make you a really awesome escape room. And uh, only one of those two things happened. Um, <laughs> so it didn't go that well. Um, it was a, 
we tried our best, but it was not a great first outing. And so, um, yeah, I learned a lot from that. That was probably one of our biggest failures. Have you made an escape room since? Yeah, we've made several since then. Uh, um, and they, and the new much, ones are better? Yep, much better. Uh, we learned, the biggest thing I learned from that was if you're going to build an escape room, make sure you're building it in the city that you live in. It's really, you need, you're going to need to do lots of little tweaks and adjustments and, and all kinds of things like that. And if it's in a different city, you can't do those things. So um, you have to plan around that. Fair enough. What are you most grateful for? Hmm. I mean, I won the lottery being born where I was born to whom I was born to. Um, I live in probably, this will seem somewhat nationalistic, I guess, but I live in probably the greatest time and place ever to live, to be born as a human being in human history so far. Um, like one of my roommates is from India. Uh, we're going through COVID right now in Canada. Um, I can't go to work and I, my income has dried up because of this virus and the government is saying, Hey, don't worry about it. We'll just give you some money. Just go out and take care of yourself. Do what you need to do. I still get to work on things that I love. I get to focus on, I get to do a job that I'm excited to wake up for and do every day. Um, and my roommate, he was talking about the lockdown in India and you know, there aren't those kinds of resources. I, have been exceptionally lucky to have all the chances that I've had in my life. And it's, it really is just chance. Yep. I agree. That's a great, great answer. Um, what key, what uh, concerns you the most or what keeps you up at night? Like what, what goes through your mind when you're just like, Ugh. I worry that humanity's intelligence will outpace its wisdom. I think that we're liable to develop some technologies that we are just not wise enough to wield without destroying ourselves and that we will end up destroying ourselves. Yep. I could see that being a heavy topic if we were to do that in a, on a, a freestyle social. Yeah. Uh, what spot in the world do you most like traveling to? So I guess somewhere you've been. Hmm. Well, I have my sister, I've got a lot of family that lives in England, so I love going there. I recently went to Sierra Leone, which is in West Africa. That's where my dad's from. And that place was just beautiful. Um, but I would say like the, probably the most beautiful place I've ever been so far was um, Spain. I loved, I loved, I loved Spain. I got to visit Alicante, Barcelona, um, Buñol, a bunch of places there, Valencia. It was, I'm not a person who is particularly moved by architecture, but I went there and I was like, this is, this is beautiful. Like, I can't stand how beautiful this is. Yeah, I actually felt the exact same way. It was the first foreign country I fell in love with. And I do love going back. It's also the food is great. The people yeah. are, are amazingly friendly and yeah. tolerant of people who the can't speak Spanish. super relaxed and, and calm. It's, it's so great. So great. Yeah. And it's, I've never been there in the summertime. Imagine I'd probably melt if it, in the summertime there, but in the, oh, in, yeah. the in the spring and <laughs> yes. spring and fall, it's gorgeous. Um, what what is your most productive time of day? Um, this is interesting. It's shifted since uh, we started the lockdown. It's the mornings now. Um, I used to be very much so like a night owl. I would get my best thinking done between like eleven and like one, um, just sitting and writing, but. Um, since the lockdown has started, I've found that 
I have to regimen myself, like schedule myself. Um, and so because the beginning part of my day is the most rigidly scheduled, I am super hyperproductive in the mornings now between probably like eight and like noon. Yeah, me too. What is your favorite hobby? Um, either guitar or if I had it, I would be playing a lot of Super Smash Brothers, but probably like music, guitar. <laughs> I like how you went in Super Smash Brothers. I don't know. That's one of the yeah, other things I, most people don't know about me. I am incredible at that game. It sounds like you are because it's you obviously spent a lot of time doing it. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. piece of advice would you give your uh, second year self? I think I would want to learn to practice self-love a bit more when I was in second year. I think that I, I have like a legacy of being very hard on myself um, and like my internal voice can be like you want to be critical of yourself to a degree, but if you're so critical of yourself that you lose motivation, that's probably too critical. And so I want to learn how, I think it would be good to learn how to be a bit more um, compassionate with myself when I was in second year. Okay. So coping with COVID, uh, you, we kind of alluded to this already um, in regards to, and the, and the whole idea of these bio sketches, not the bio sketches per se, but this interaction through zoom or these uh, podcasts is really to help us get through COVID and try to connect. I know you would probably identify as an extrovert. Am yeah. I correct in saying? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I, well, we've had this conversation before, <laughs> but um, what is your, what would you say is your biggest challenge during this COVID crisis right now? Yeah. Being an extrovert. Um, I get my energy from being around other people and hearing all their ideas and talking to them. And the government has insisted that I stop doing that. Um, so it's been a really tough process learning to develop the skills, the skill set of an introvert to like be on my own more and be comfortable in that. Um, I'm going to be better for it, but it hasn't been exactly easy. Perfect. And so what strategies are you using for coping? I and mean, you've already listed one that you may or may not know of, but what are, what are some of the strategies you're trying to, to get through? Yeah, schedule really makes a big difference. Like having a, a schedule for myself makes a big difference. Um, I also have started um, just having lots more um, Skype calls and like Zoom calls. And um, just, I had dinner with my grandma the other day. Me and my girlfriend sat down and we had virtual dinner together. And I don't remember the last time that I had dinner with my grandma before the lockdown. So in many ways, it's been an opportunity to connect with people more so. And you actually may have just shared your, what is your silver lining in this pandemic? Yeah. Yep. So it's just, it's really looking at all the, if you, you you've, I think said, you, you know, you've got your openness category locked and sort of your, your five people things. And really what you've done is you've still applied that during this, this, crisis essentially yeah. to keep your options open and just explore new ways that allow you to be an extra. Yeah. I honestly, I mean, obviously nobody is celebrating this crisis. It's, it's a nightmare in, in countless ways. Um, but silver lining for me is that I think um, there's a real opportunity to come out of this as a, a much better person. Um, I'm having to develop my personality in lots of ways that will make me much more competent and capable of achieving things that I think are important in the world. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to take as much advantage of this opportunity as I can to do the most that I can for the world. Perfect. 
Anthony Morgan, it is always a pleasure to talk with you. So it's a good thing you are you 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 are that type of person. Otherwise, being an extrovert would suck. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's been an absolute pleasure, uh, and I'm so thankful you gave us uh, some of your time today to share some of your thoughts and. Uh, and the ask and answer question, which we will uh, pose at the end of the podcast. Um, so I guess in the interest of time, thank you so much again. And uh, stay safe, stay well. And um, we'll connect you with some of these students. Maybe they can answer that question uh, for you. That sounds awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay, take care, Anthony. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. It's called, I have a section called asked and answered. Cool. So the idea being is that like you say, hi, my name is X, Y, Z. And I just want to know dot, dot, dot. And if it's a general question, then that, then I can be applied to more people. If it's, um, and what I'll, and, or if it's a specific question and I find that specific person, then I will ask them that question and get that answer. And then it will be broadcast through a section called asked and answered. And Very I'll do cool. it periodically. Okay. So yeah. do you have, do you have any questions for the, so hi, my name is Anthony Morgan. I just wanted to know. Hmm. What do I want to know? Okay. Hi, okay. my name is Anthony Morgan and I want to know how do you get through fear? How do you get through fear? Excellent question. 